I want to start today by considering the sun. The sun is extremely important because without the sun, there would be no life on earth. Now, down through human history, there have been various misperceptions and misunderstandings about the sun. For instance, up until just a few hundred years ago, people believed that the sun orbited around the earth rather than the earth and other planets orbiting around the sun. But regardless of the accuracy of people's beliefs, everyone still benefited from the sun. Now, let me personalize this a little bit more for us. How many of you, when the sun is shining or when you're at a beach, you just want to be out there in the sun as much as you possibly can? Raise your hand. Okay? How many of you are the opposite? That maybe you still like to be outside, but when you're outside and it's sunny, you might prefer more to be in the shade. Raise your hands on that one. A few less hands. That's actually more what I'm like. Um, last March, Shelley and I went down to Mexico on a vacation, and it was beautiful. It was sunny and warm every single day there, and Shelley loves laying out in the sun. Me, not so much. What I would do when she was laying out in the sun, I would find a nice, comfortable chair in the shade and read a book. And I like sunshine. I just don't really feel like baking in the sun. And I don't really care if I get much of a tan or not. And in fact, when I am out in the sunshine for an extended period of time, I always put on sunscreen. Now, people have a variety of different responses to the sun. It sounds like most like being in the sun, some not quite so much, but we all value the sun because regardless of our beliefs and our value for being in direct sunlight, we all directly benefit from the sun. And I think this is very much like God as well. Not saying that the sun is God. God created the sun. God is infinitely greater than the sun. But just how um, people down through history have had misunderstandings about the sun, it's the same about God. But regardless of people's beliefs in the sun or in God, there are still benefits that are derived from both. But you know, you have some people who value the sunshine, some people who value the shade, and, you know, that makes some difference in how people live. But when it comes to God, people's value of God makes a much bigger difference. And that's what we're talking about today. So I invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 1. We are in a series right now that's walking through the first 18 verses of John chapter 1. The series is called Light of the World. And one of the really amazing things that we see here in John chapter 1 is Christmas's amazing truth that the Creator became part of His creation. It's a truth that is simply mind-boggling. And we're going to move to the next section of this passage today. I'm going to pray for um, just God to open our hearts to what He has to say to us through Scripture, and then we'll dig in. So let's pray. Father, we thank You that You've given us Your written Word to tell us about your living word, the word who became flesh, Jesus. And I pray that you will help us today to understand to a greater degree why Jesus became flesh, why Jesus then went to the cross, what that has to do with our lives. So Lord, I pray that we will take uh, your words, apply them to our lives, not merely being hearers of the word, but doers of the word, so that we, we may grow as men and women who are living according to the design that you created us for, men and women who give you praise and glory with everything that we do, say, and think. We pray these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. So I invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I read John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. 
It says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, not of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, the main thing I want to point out here today is this idea that the decision to receive Jesus makes all the difference in the world. It's really the biggest decision that we can make. The decision of whether you're going to be in the sunlight or in the shade. And, I mean, talking about the sun up in the sky, that decision, I mean, makes some difference on how tan are you going to get, how prone are you then to getting skin cancer, stuff like that. But this decision of what we do with Jesus makes a world and an eternity of difference. Verse 9 starts, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now the Apostle John, as he's writing this biography of Jesus, and as he's writing his letters later in the New Testament, he loves the metaphor of light. And it's a rich metaphor. It came from Jesus himself. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then John takes that metaphor, and this metaphor of light can be read in several different ways depending on the context of the passage that we're reading. And here in John chapter 1, this idea of God being the true light means that God is the source of all life and blessing. It says that he gives light to everyone. So regardless of whether someone is Christian, Hindu, Muslim, agnostic, or atheist, their life and the blessings in their life come from God. I'm not saying that everyone worships God in the same way or everyone even, even has an accurate or valid way of worshiping God. But everyone who has existence, that existence comes from God. Everyone who has any blessings in their life, the source of those blessings is God. That's what it means when it says that God is the true light. Some people might reject God. Some people do reject God. Some people attribute their existence to something other than the supernatural God. Some people attribute the blessings in their lives to other sources besides God. But in reality, God is the true light, and he is the ultimate source for everyone, regardless of their view of him. He is the source of life and blessing to everyone. And Jesus really picks up on the same theme back in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 45 Jesus says that God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on, on the righteous and the unrighteous. So these are blessings. These are part of existence in this world that come to everyone regardless of what they believe about God. And this is sometimes called common grace, which means that God gives these, these blessings to everyone, regardless of what type of life they're living, regardless of their view of him, even if they have misunderstandings about him, uh, they still receive some degree of benefit from him in terms of their life, their existence, various blessings in their life, because God is the true light that gives light to everyone. So in this context, the light is referring to life and blessing, life meaning the existence, the physical life that we have and the blessings that we have in our lives these come from God. And it goes on to say in verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Into the world. This is referencing the creator becoming part 
of his creation. And you would think that when the creator becomes part of his creation, that would be something that people would just be standing in awe of. I think of how our culture loves celebrities. I mean, the news, internet, just makes such a big deal out of celebrities. And, and back in Jesus' culture, I mean, people had a, a value for celebrities as well. I mean, our culture values pro athletes, values movie stars, values musicians, inventors, CEOs of big companies, perhaps. Back then, they may have valued a different type of celebrity. But you think about the big-name celebrities in our culture today. I mean, what, LeBron James... Uh, Jeff Bezos, Steve Jobs was one until he died, um, Taylor Swift, Jennifer Aniston. I mean, depending on your generation, you might view celebrities slightly differently by name. But you look at the biggest named celebrities in our culture today, and they all radically pale in comparison to God in the flesh. You would think that God in the flesh in the form of Jesus would be such an amazing reality that people would just be standing in awe. But in reality, when Jesus set foot in this earth, And throughout his life, so many people rejected him. He was not, I mean, he was a celebrity in the sense of people were drawn to him or or people responded to him, reacted to him. But many people were rejecting him. That's what it says in verses 10 and 11. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. His own people are referring to the Jewish people. He was born a Jew. Jewish people, by and large, did not recognize him fully for who he was. Some were indifferent to him. Some followed him for a little while and then turned back. Others were completely hostile to him. God in the flesh. But they rejected him. Why did people reject him back then? Well, it's probably for many of the same reasons that people reject him now. Back then... You think, okay, the Jewish people, they were expecting a Messiah to come into the world to deliver them. But the Messiah that God sent was very different than the Messiah that the people were expecting. They were expecting expecting this warrior king who would overthrow the Romans. They weren't expecting God himself to come into the world as a little baby, born in a tiny town to an obscure teenage girl. They weren't expecting that. They weren't expecting their Savior to be a humble carpenter who then turned into a preacher. That was not what they were expecting. So you might be able to give them a little bit of grace and just thinking, okay, well, Jesus was a bit different than the type of Messiah that they were expecting, but that's actually not the primary reason why most people rejected Jesus. The main reason was that their hearts were hard. Their hearts were hard. I mean, that's, that's the same thing then. It's the same thing now. It's the same thing back before Jesus. I mean, you think about how back in the Old Testament era, Israel was God's chosen people, but people still had hard hearts towards God. That's why God sent a prophet after prophet after prophet to call people back to himself. Isaiah 65 verse 2 is a great place just to see God's heart and then the people's response. It says Isaiah 65 2, God says, all day long, I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. Saying, you know what? God's saying, come back to me. Come back. This is how I designed you to be in a relationship with me. But people, they follow their own imaginations, their own values. They do their own things. They have obstinate, hard hearts. 
And that is the underlying reason why people reject Jesus. And you think, well, but we still have to get back to the fact that Jesus was a little bit different than they were expecting. Surely, if they could see Jesus for who he really was, God in the flesh, then they would turn to him. Well, most of the time that wasn't the case. For instance, over in John chapter 12, verse 37, it says, Even after Jesus performed many, so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. So he showed them many great miracles, and they still were not believing in him. And you think, well, maybe if he actually just said, hey, I'm God in the flesh, and then maybe people would believe in him. Some did, but many others then tried to kill him. Let me read a passage from John chapter 10, verses 30 through 33. In the conversation with religious leaders, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Then it says, again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So you have these instances where Jesus is very clear about his deity, about his identity as God in the flesh. And their response was not worship. Instead, their response was, we need to kill this man. It's blasphemy. And so you have many people back then and still now who reject Jesus. Again, it says he was in the world. No, the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his, that which was his own, his own people, but they did not receive him. In Luke chapter 1, you're probably familiar with when the angel appeared to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to carry a special baby in your womb, God's son. And he is to have the name Jesus. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. So Jesus came as a savior. And that's important to keep in mind in the context of why Jesus came. He came to save us. Imagine that you are out driving and, and, and you're driving along and suddenly you realize you're lost. Your GPS led you in the wrong direction. But you know what? Eventually you'll be able to find your way back to where you need to go. And some people might think, well, using that as a spiritual analogy, Jesus is that one who comes help and helps us because we were kind of lost and, and we needed help finding our way back to the right path. We probably would have found our way on our own, but Jesus certainly helps us out in that process. That is not the type of Savior Jesus is. Because rather than just kind of losing our way and needing some navigational assistance, what really happened is that we totaled the car and we are dead. We need a Savior who will come in. We don't just need that navigational assistance. Many people think, well, that's why Jesus came. He came to be a good religious teacher in order to give us some information, give us some truths. And if we believe the right stuff, if we just adjust our values and our beliefs a little bit about God, then we'll be back on the right course again. That's not why Jesus came. He did teach. He taught some great things. But he came to be a Savior because we were spiritually dead and we needed a resurrection. We needed a new birth. That's why Jesus came, and that's why it says in verse 12, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So this means that those who receive Jesus are adopted into God's family. They are adopted into God's family. 
And this is the best gift ever. It goes on to say that these children are children not born of natural descent, meaning they aren't biological children of God, nor of human decision, meaning it's not that the mother and father got together and decided, hey, let's have some children. And it's not by husband's will. Back in that patriarchal culture, it was frequently the husband who would um, determine, hey, let's have sexual relationship here. No, it's not that. It's people born of God. It's a spiritual rebirth. It's a resurrection, new life that comes through faith in Christ. And this gives us the best gift ever when we receive Jesus into our lives by faith. Now, this idea says we will become children of God. That means that for a while, if our faith is in Christ now, before our faith was in Christ, we were not children of God. We've become children of God. When we're not children of God, well, what does that make us? Pretty much like spiritual orphans. And the Bible uses adoption terminology frequently to talk about our relationship with God. But in our natural sinful state, we are spiritual orphans. You think about orphans and their needs. I think of orphans overseas. I have two kids who are adopted from orphanages overseas. And you think about orphans living without a family around them. They may have deep fear about where is, am I going to have enough food for tomorrow or the next day or the next day? When they go to sleep at night, they may go to sleep in, in the fear of older kids coming in and abusing them during the night. They have the fear of, of, of who's going to care for me. They learn not to cry because crying doesn't help anything because no one responds when they cry. That's why if you go to an orphanage frequently overseas, it's eerily silent, um, especially among the little babies. Because they learn crying doesn't help a thing. This is what life is like as an orphan. And many times, though, they don't even recognize what it would be like to be in a family. But you think about if you want to give a gift, it's Christmas. Think about if you want to give a gift, a great gift to an orphan, what would be the best gift you could give? A family. I mean, you think so many Christmas gifts we give to each other are things, objects. And you think, I promise that if you go into an orphanage overseas and you take a brand new radio control car or a brand new shiny soccer ball or a brand new special doll and give it to those kids, they will think they're in heaven. And it is something special. It's something I promise that they would treasure. But that's not the ultimate thing that they need. What they need, the greatest gift they could receive is a family. And that's why Jesus came to this world, because we all in our natural state are spiritual orphans. But like orphans overseas, oftentimes we don't even recognize the realities of what it would be like to be in a family. This is why children who are adopted frequently struggle to integrate into a family, because they don't have categories for understanding what it means to be part of a family. But God recognizes we need a spiritual family. We need him as our heavenly father, and that's why he sent Jesus. So that we didn't have to remain spiritual orphans forever, but we could have a family of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, but with him ultimately as our Heavenly Father. And that's why it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. J.I. Packer, who is a Christian theologian, a Christian author, he has said that adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. Higher even than justification. Justification, there are so many angles from which you can view the gospel. 
One angle is justification. That's the primary, the foundational part of the gospel. Justification is this legal idea of being declared righteous in God's sight, where God is the judge, we are guilty, but Jesus intercedes as our, basically our defense attorney who pays the penalty for us so that we can be made right with God. That's foundational. But Packer, and I agree with him, he says that God, uh, adoption is an even higher privilege than that. Because in adoption, we experience this intimate relationship with God as our Father. Not just as a judge who declares us innocent and, and, and righteous, but as our Father into whose intimate presence we can come anytime we'd like. That is the privilege of the gospel. That is why Jesus came. And so as we look at this passage in John chapter 1, we see that there are basically two groups of people in the world. There is the world, and in the gospel of John, the world frequently is, is used in very negative ways. It's a world that rejects God, a world that, that focuses on themselves, is not willing to submit to God. You have the world who rejects Jesus. On the other hand, you have the family of God, people who receive Jesus. All, all of humans who've ever lived essentially fall into one of those two categories. Now, there are those who lived before Jesus, but still they were saved by faith in God, not by their works. Um, so you have these two categories of people. Everyone falls into one of those two categories, either those who receive Jesus or those who do not, whether through passive indifference or just through direct saying, no, I don't want Jesus to be a part of my life. Those are the two categories as I said, the decision to receive Jesus makes all the difference in the world. And if we don't receive Jesus in our life by faith, we are squandering the greatest gift that can ever be given. My daughter, Tehila, she loves giving gifts. She's five, almost six. She wrapped a bunch of gifts for us yesterday. She wraps gifts for us all year round. She just, she does. And you never know what you're going to get from her. This is one that, that she wrapped for us yesterday. There's something in here that says, To Mom, from Tehillah. Um, I'm sure she'll be wrapping a whole lot more between now and Christmas. Um, you know, in order for Shelly, my wife, to be able to experience whatever's in here, in order for her to really experience the fullness of the love that Tehillah put into this, what's she going to have to do? She's going to have to open it. I mean, you will not see under your tree on Christmas morning gifts that will not be opened. At some point, maybe they aren't open at that particular time, but at some point, gifts will be opened because people know to utilize a gift, you have to open it, you have to make use of it. For Shelly, I mean, Tila is offering a gift that out of the best will of her heart, she wants to show love by giving these gifts. Secret that's not really a secret Teal is getting a whole lot of wrapping paper and tape for Christmas because she has used all of ours. She needs her own supply. She loves giving gifts. God loves giving gifts too. There are gifts that God gives to everyone, rain, sunshine, life, existence, many other blessings. But there is a special gift that God makes available to everyone, but, but it depends on whether we are going to receive that gift by faith and open it up. God offers us a gift. Will we take it? and trust in Christ, and make him the center of our life. Because what ends up happening is that we still frequently would tend towards having a harder heart, of wanting to do things our way rather than submitting to what God wants to do in our lives. I said earlier that, that for much of human history, down to a few hundred years ago, people had a belief in, in the sun and the earth and how orbits work. 
that was misconstrued. It was called a geocentric orbit, was what many people believed in at that point. It's the idea that the sun orbits around the earth, that the earth is the center of everything. But then that was corrected through Galileo, other scientists, astronomers, to realize we don't live in a geocentric solar system. We live in a heliocentric solar system where, where the sun is at the center. And, you know, so this, this misunderstanding has been corrected. We naturally as human beings like to be egocentric. What does egocentric mean? Ego comes from the Greek word that means I or me or myself. And so when we're egocentric, the center of our universe is me, myself, and I. And even when we serve other people, frequently when we're centered on ourselves, we might serve other people in genuine ways, but at the same time, we're doing it perhaps with an eye towards how does this benefit us? In everything that we do, even in marriage or in parenting or in our workplace or, or whatever, even church activities, frequently it's done with an eye towards how does this fit into my plan? How does this fit into my dream for what I want in my life? And so we end up being egocentric, and that's what makes people hard-hearted towards God because what we're called to is to be Christocentric. You can probably figure out what that means. It means centered on Christ, where our life revolves around Him. That's what we're called to. That's why Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. That means putting the ego aside, putting myself aside, and following Him. And that's the way towards true life. And it's only by being Christocentric that we can ultimately experience the ultimate gift and the life that Jesus has for us. That's the way we move towards being a part of the family of God. I fear that many people, especially here in this part of the country, have grown up in church, and so they're accustomed to being around and talk about Jesus and God and the Bible and stuff like that. But they're accustomed to it, but they're still relatively egocentric in their lives. And that's a dangerous place to be. If you go back to the analogy of sun or shade, and I mean, using this as an analogy of are we um, living for God or are we living for ourselves, where the shade is kind of ourselves and the sun is, is more living for God and having our faith fully in Him. So many people, I think, in this culture, just right here in this area, because so many people have a church background, but they're basically living in the shade where they, they have some degree of exposure but they aren't willing to turn their lives over to Christ. And that's a dangerous place spiritually to be because remember, there are ultimately only two groups of people in the world. Those who know Christ, those who don't. Those who, who are going to heaven, those who don't. And that's why the decision to receive Jesus is the biggest, most important thing of all. Yesterday we had a funeral here at the church uh, for Rita Salomon. Rita has been a part of Freedoms for a couple of years and God has worked tremendously in Rita's life. And I think that her story demonstrates well what happens when someone receives that gift of grace in their lives and allows Jesus to become the center. Rita, this is all public knowledge, so it's not like I'm sharing something that shouldn't be shared. Um, but Rita, she had a lot of hardship in her life. She had some, some things happen to her early in life that led to a lot of emotional scars that she was dealing with throughout the rest of her life. Um, she was dealing with a lot of shame and anger and bitterness and loneliness and stuff like that in her life, even as she's surrounded by other people. And her heart towards God had grown very hard. She saw God as, as angry, as vengeful, as kind of out to get her. 
For 45 years, she, she turned away from any sort of church or organized religion. But then, just a few years ago, she was flipping through channels on TV. She was about to turn it off, and then she saw a preacher on TV. Let me read her own words, because she became a member of the church back in this last spring of 2017, wrote out her testimony of her spiritual journey, and I want to read you a little bit just to illustrate the power that Jesus has when he becomes the center of someone's life. She said, it was an evangelist talking about Jesus dying on the cross. He explained that Jesus died on the cross to remove all sin from us so we'd be able to have a relationship with God. Further, he said, Jesus had to die a very public death in order for people to believe that he came back to life in the resurrection. This was not the first time I heard the gospel, nor would it be the last, thankfully. I find that I need to hear it over and over and over so it stays in my heart. Now, for many years, Rita had been meeting with the counselor, and they began to talk. She began to bring up just the stuff about Jesus that she'd been hearing and thinking about. And then this counselor said at some point in that conversation, maybe you should look at getting in a church. And so she listed out some criteria that she would look for in a church. Not too big, not too small, Bible-based, stuff like that. Because she had a church background um, early in her life until these bad things started happening. And she ended up then, after making that list of criteria, doing research on the Internet, she ended up here at Freedon's about two, two and a half years ago. Let me read now um, just more of her story. She said, As I related my findings from my information gathering to my counselor, I came to the abrupt realization that my guardian angel, which is someone she'd been attributing um, a lot of the blessings and the stuff in her life to, she said, my guardian angel was not an angel, but Jesus Christ, leading me to salvation. This new awareness caused me to look at what I'd attributed to my guardian angel with a clearer view, and I finally recognized the hand of Jesus steadying me, showing me the right path, and ensuring that all life experiences happen in their own time. This revelation changed my whole perspective on Christianity and opened my eyes to the fact that God is not vengeful or angry or just waiting for us to fail. God gave his only son to be put to death so people could be brought closer to God. And then she wrote that here at church, quote, I began making use of the classes between services and learned a great deal I hadn't known before. I have become more adept at recognizing and accepting Jesus Christ's help and guidance. I am less inclined to be judgmental of others as well as myself and practice loving patience with myself and others. I find myself becoming frustrated, or if I find myself becoming frustrated with someone, I stop and say a prayer to Jesus to give me strength. This anger, denial, or the anger, denial, and loneliness began to subside as my understanding of being a Christian deepened and solidified. I have discovered that there is no end in death but a new beginning in eternity with God. Death is a joyous experience as a coming home. So you see this, this turnaround has taken place in her life. She goes on to say, instead of being lonely, I'm learning to be thankful for the time I have alone to pray, meditate, and read the Bible. I am thankful for the clarity of calm brought about by the antithesis of anger, denial, and confusion. I am thankful for God's hand in my life. For there has been good for the bad and exaltation for the desolation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You see again, this, this division, the old, the new, um, it's the same as being part of the world or being part of Christ's family. 
I think we have two options in the decision to receive Jesus into our lives by faith, trusting in him alone for salvation rather than thinking, well, I'll be good enough. I can navigate my own way or my good works, my religious activities will be good enough to earn me favor in God's sight. That's not going to cut it. Jesus came to be a savior because we were spiritually dead. He, he offers spiritual life. And as Rita attests to, it's life that not only gives us hope after death, but can transform us here and now. So we have a choice. We have a choice of whether to be in the sun. Do we like the shade? Or do we like direct sunlight? And that choice can make some difference in our lives. And, you know, there are pros and cons either way. But that doesn't ultimately affect that much. We have a much greater choice of whether we're going to live in the light or in the darkness of God. God lives in the light. He offers us a way to come into his holy light as well through Jesus. That's the way of true life. Thanks be to God that he has made a way through Jesus as a savior to welcome us into his family. And I pray that each one of us will not only make that initial decision to receive Christ in our lives, but that then we will live that out and let Christ permeate every part of us, that we will live Christocentric lives with our lives orbiting around him and experience the fullness of what Jesus has for us, because that is the ultimate gift of all. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks. Thank you that you came to this world. We look at a gift that you gave us that was so amazing, yet it cost you so much. It cost you 33 years away from your heavenly throne. It cost your life. You died. You were beaten on our behalf so that we could have redemption and freedom. And we give you thanks. Lord, we thank you for your work in the life of Rita, how you reached into her life, redeemed her, brought her into your family, and now you've brought her into your very presence. And Lord, I pray that each one of us will receive you in that same way, that we will come to you by faith and walk by faith day by day, not making that just a one-time decision that we think, well, once is good, but that we will be following Jesus day by day by day and experiencing the fullness of what you have for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.